Welcome to the Unite Church podcast. For more information about Unite Church, visit unitechurchak.org. Now enjoy this message. Is it okay? Can we start with story time? Is it cool? Okay, one of these, you love Zach's story time? One of these dreams, I saw the Lord, and he was standing huge like a giant, and he had this little, this little figure in his hand, looked like a little G.I. Joe figure. And he was clothed in like army fatigues, but they were white, and the camouflage was like red. And, and later I asked the Lord, what was that about? And, he's, and he said, this is one of my soldiers. He's clothed in righteousness and covered by the blood of the Lamb. He had two swords in his hand, this little action figure. And when, I, when, it, when my dream zoomed in, I saw that the little guy in his hand was me. And he was carrying this little soldier, and he carried this soldier to a building. It was a high-rise building, and there were many floors, but it wasn't completed yet. There were no walls on it, so you could see into every floor. And every floor had a war going on. And he brought me to one of those floors, and he brought me closer into it, and I could see that it, it wasn't a small place. It was, like, it was like a land. It was a great plain that stretched for miles and miles. I couldn't even see the end of it. And as he brought me into it, my perspective changed changed, and I began to see, not from the perspective of him holding me, but from my perspective. He never took his hand off of me. He just put me down in the middle of this battle. Let me tell you the problem. The problem was, from corner to corner, horizon to horizon, this place was jam-freaking-packed like sardines with demons. And I'm talking about woolly boogers, like the nastiest looking demons you've ever seen. If you can think of the stinkiest, nastiest, ugliest, meanest, befangled, gnarliest looking things you've ever seen, the whole floor was full of them. So he brings me and he puts me down right smack dab in the middle. And as he starts lowering me down, these two swords in my hands, I start spinning them like helicopter blades. And it's like, wooga, 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 wooga. And I'm going down into the midst of them, and it speeds up. And as soon as I hit the floor, it's like Cuisinart, baby. I'm like a lawnmower going through these demons. It's woo, woo, woo. And they're like Jimmy Dean sausage. There's, there's demon arms and demon legs and demon heads flying all over the place. It's like a snowblower, y'all. It's just there's me on one side, and there's demons shooting out the back. It was awesome. And not only was it awesome, but it was fun. I was having a blast. I wasn't afraid of anything. It was like anything God put in front of me, I knew that he was serving me dinner. Zoom! I was just eating right through him. It was amazing. It felt like that was what I was made for. And I, 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 I was alone. I was by myself fighting with my swords. But every once in a while, over the heads of the enemy, maybe 20 yards this way, you know, 50 yards this way, 100 yards over there, I'd see another spinning. It's like a weed whacker over there, and you see demon parts flying up, and somebody else over there was fighting too. I wasn't alone. There were other people that were in the fight. So wherever I went, it was making a path, right? So I'm in the middle of fighting, and suddenly I feel like the ground go, Woomba, Woomba, Woomba. And, and the demons that were in front of me stopped fighting, and they just parted. They made a path like this. Remember in Raiders of the Lost Ark when, when the crowd parts and that guy's standing on the other side with the, ginorm, the ginormous sword? Remember that scene? That's exactly what happened. They just go, boo, they parted. And when they parted, there was a really big freaking demon on the other end of this aisle. He, I don't know. He was like 10 or 12 feet tall. He was huge. Huge, big rolls of, of putrid, open wounds and fat. He was just blah. He was just big, gruesome. He had, he had claws that were sprouting out of his fingers and broken shards of bone and horns coming out of his skin. And the wounds were weeping and open. He had fangs and tusks and the snout kind of like a pig. He was just enormous. And it was like the personification of fear. As soon as I saw this thing standing there, I felt it. My, my, my hands went weak and just hung at my side like that. My knees started to turn like water, and I could feel myself passing out. I could, I could feel like the tunnel, you know, closing in around me. I was about to, I was so petrified, I was about to pass out from fear. As soon as that tunnel closed down and turned black, I heard something. I, I heard singing. 
At first it was low and it began to rise and it got louder and louder until I could recognize what they were singing. And it was the voice of multitudes of angels and saints singing the praises of the Most High God. They were singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And the volume got louder and louder and louder. And when it got to its loudest point, I woke back up and I was in the midst of fighting again and my enemy was slain. I'd only been saved for a couple of months. But it was like God was saying, buddy, this is what you're in for. You're in the army now. Time to put on your big boy pants. And I learned a lot about spiritual warfare just by being in the fight. We're still in the book of Ephesians, and right now we're wrapping up the book of Ephesians. And what you need to understand is, remember... Paul is writing this to a culture that is, they're a bunch of brand new Christians in a demonized culture. If they're going to step out of the darkness into the light, he needs them to know this is going to be the fight of your life. If you are going to save your marriage, this is going to be the fight of your life. If you want your kids to grow up and praise the Lord and not rebel, this is going to be the fight of your life. If you want to make it out on the other side of this, this is going to be the fight of your life. So his final instructions to the Ephesian church are about how you get through this on top. How do I fight? So he begins in Ephesians 6. You've got to understand, this is his Braveheart speech. Do you remember that speech in Braveheart where he's running up and down the lines? Yeah? And he's going, they can take our land. They can take our lives. But they cannot take our freedom. Come on, freedom. That's right. This is, this is Paul rallying the Ephesians, okay? So this is your rally. This is your rally card. Are you ready? Yeah. All right, we're going to read it. This is Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Anybody want to fight? I'm hoping that by the time we get to the end of this, you get your Irish up. You know what that means? When you get your Irish up, it means you're down. Let's throw down. Let's fight. This is going to be fun. I'm a Cuisinart, baby. Come on. <laughs> Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. This is Paul. Finally, he's given them all these instructions. How do I live in this culture? How do I pray for my family? How do I come out of the darkness into the kingdom of light? He says, finally. My last instructions, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in who? In whose power? He's not expecting you to be strong in your strength or your power. He knows you're weak. He knows I'm weak. We're a bunch of kids. He's not expecting us to have our own strength. He's expecting us, in fact, that's a passive word. Be strong actually means be strengthened. You allow yourself to be strengthened in him and in his power. This is what he says next. Put on the full armor of God. You're going in a fight. You know what? Even if you don't want to fight, you're in the fight. As soon as you decided you were following Jesus, it was like ringing a dinner bell in hell. And here come the hordes. They are coming for you. You can lay down and surrender. They will have you. You can flee. They will have you. Or you can fight. They're coming one way or another. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. That word schemes means ambushes or attacks. I want you to pay attention to this. What does he repeat I love that Paul repeats himself because it helps with people who are dense like me. When he repeats himself, he's trying to say something important. So watch this. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For your struggle is not against flesh and blood. Watch this. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Can I translate that for you? Demons. Demons. You're not fighting against your obnoxious neighbor. Your fight is not against flesh and blood. It's, it's not your spouse you're fighting against. You get it? There's a spiritual enemy that is at work against your marriage. That's your enemy. Right? Demons. Devils. Fallen angels. 
I don't believe in those. It doesn't matter. They're coming for you anyway. <laughs> Therefore, put on, he says again, the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. He says it again. And after you have done everything to stand, he says it again. Stand firm then with the, that's, by the way, five times. No, is that right? Four times. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And, you know, people don't realize this is part of the armor of God. This is part of the armor of God. And pray. Praying is the most violent thing you can do on earth. It is the most effective warfare you can wage on earth. If you're not praying, you ain't even in the fight yet. You're sitting on the line getting trampled. That's why he says, and pray. Everything else you put on, this you do. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. He's in prison writing this. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. He says, stand four times. What do you think he wants you to do? That's right. The only thing that changes is the preposition in the context, which we'll look at in a second. He says, put on three times. What do you think he wants you to do? He says, pray five times. What do we do least of all of them? People of God, we ain't even in the fight yet. Pray five times. So, this is what we're going to start doing. We're going to look, first we're going to look at these stands. How are these stands differently? And, and I'm, going to just, I'm just going to spill the beans. I'll tell you straight up front, okay? There are three different ways that they say this. The first one, if you're taking notes, he says to take a stand. That means stand for something. The second one, he says stand your ground. That means stand against something. And the third one, he's talking about standing in victory. That's standing over something. That means at some point, your enemy's on the ground and your foot's on his chest. You're standing over your fallen enemy. Three stands. Okay, you ready? Are we good? You paying attention? You guys, I don't believe you. Are you paying attention? All right, let's look at the first one. First one, put on the full armor of God so that you may take your stand. Taking your stand means choosing sides. It means that I have decided that I am going to stand for something. You guys know when, when Jesus died on the cross, he did this. That's the line. This is what the word says in Matthew 12, 30. Anyone who isn't with me opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually against me. When Jesus went to the cross, that's our, even our history is divided between B.C. and A.D. That's the line. I had a B.C. and I have an A.D. I had a before the cross and I have an, an anno domini. I have a year of my Lord. And there's only two places you can stand with relation to that line. You can either stand against it or you can stand for it. And this is what he's saying straight off the bat. If you haven't made a decision yet, you're going to get killed on the line. You're getting murdered on the line. And you're sure going to lose if you're on that side of the line. The first step in the fight is decide which side you're fighting for. You with me? Let's show that first video clip. I love this. This is where we hold them. This is where we fight. This is where they die. Yeah! And these shields, boys! <laughs> Remember this day, man. For it will be yours for all time. This really happened. 
Lay down your weapons! Persian! Come and get them! First rule of the fight, never negotiate with hell. <laughs> when they say lay down your weapons, Malone Labe, baby, come and get them. <laughs> so this is, the Persians were trying to invade Greece. The Persian king Xerxes was the son of Darius. Darius is one of the kings that Daniel serves in the book of Daniel. This is a real guy, the enemy of the Greeks. So they came at them with one of the largest armies ever assembled. And the Greeks knew that if they were conquered, their wives were going to be in other men's harems. Their sons were going to be castrated and enslaved. And their lands were going to be, belong to another nation. They were going to be enslaved under a tyrant's power. So Leonidas stood up with his Spartans, 300 chosen men and a bunch of allies that rallied around them, and they went down to this place called Thermopylae, which was uh, a gate between some rocks. The Persian army had to come through Thermopylae, and it was the size of a baseball diamond. Those 300 guys held off the biggest army in the world for three days straight. And by the way, they really did say that. Lay down your arms. Come and get them. In fact, um, they, they, the enemy is going to uh, try to scare you all the time. Somebody told him, the enemy is so many that when they fire their arrows, they will block out the sun. And one of the Spartans said, well, that's good news. Then we can fight in the shade. <laughs> It, this, is, this is the attitude of heaven. It doesn't matter what you're throwing against me. I've already decided this is where I'm standing. It doesn't matter what you throw my way. I'm going to stand up. So I'm not negotiating with hell. I've decided this is where I'm going to stand on this side. And I'm resolved to fight. Let's look at verse 12. Verse 12 says, for our struggle, look at that word is not against flesh and blood. That word struggle is, is actually a weak translation. When we think of struggle, we think of like, eh, eh, eh. I'm, I'm just struggling right now, you know. I'm just, I'm kind of just struggling with this thing. The word in Greek is the word pale. It's where they get the word palastra, which is a fight club. The Greeks would bring all of their boxers and their wrestlers, and they would train in the fight club. And the word pale means to fight with your enemy until one of you is in the dirt and can't get up again. That's what this is saying. You're not, oh, this is just a struggle. I'm struggling with this sin. No, what this means is, Hell is going to come at you, and you're going to fight so hard that only one of you is going to walk away. Either hell is walking away, and you're in the dirt, or you're walking away, and hell is in the dirt. The Spartan moms, when they sent their sons off to battle, they would hand them their shields, and they would say, with this or on this, which meant either you come back with your shield or you come back on it because you're going to fight to the death. Somebody is not walking away from this fight. This is, this is a call from Paul to the church saying, the hill that Jesus died on, are you willing to die on that hill too? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to stand? Anybody in here willing to stand? Yeah? Okay. I'm praying for the rest of you. All right, the second one. You ready? So first is to take a stand, is to stand for something. Second, Ephesians 6, 13, here's the NIV, says, therefore put on the full armor of God. It, it's not asking you to stand there naked. Uh, my, my ancient ancestors were the Celts. They fought naked. Woo! <laughs> they, they learned very quickly that that is not an effective battle strategy. <laughs> so it says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil, evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. This word, ant, 
Antihistemi means to stand against something. It means to resist. It means to oppose. So first he's saying, stand your ground and stand for something. I'm standing for Jesus Christ. I'm standing for my family. I'm standing for my marriage. I'm standing for my nation. I'm standing for Jesus. Next, he's saying, stand against something. Listen, we think that the armies of hell are in rebellion against us. We, you, you know the prince of this world is the devil. We are the rebellion. We are the resistance. We are the fight back against the kingdom of darkness. If we're going to make the kingdom of, if we're going to make the kingdoms of darkness the kingdom of our God, we have to resist. We have to push back. All right, I got another cool clip for you. Oh, wait, well, let me show you this first. Ephesians 6, 13 in NLT, therefore put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy. It's the same word, antihistemi. Okay, let's look at this. I love this scene. You cannot pass! Turn up! Stand out! Here comes hell. I'm certain to the secret fire. Yielder of the flame of Arnold. Dark fire will never fail you. Flame of Udun! Go back to the shadow. to go that far. <laughs> oh. Fly, you fools! Fly, you fools! <laughs> if you want to know what happens next, the demon is falling down through darkness. Gandalf chases him, catches his sword in midair, lands on the demon, and whoops his butt! This is such a cool scene. You know, the world is looking for somebody who's brave enough that when hell stands up, when everyone else is running away, when everyone else is fleeing, somebody will stand on the bridge. You know that we are, the Bible says we're the priests of the Most High God. The word priest means bridge. Somebody is going to stand on the bridge and say, you shall not pass. The world is looking for somebody like that. In the year 732, Muslim armies had come out of North Africa, and they completely taken over Spain. So Spain had become the caliphate, right? And they were beginning to move into Europe. They were going to try to take over the rest of Europe. Now, in the caliphate, Christians were third-class citizens. Christians weren't even allowed to ride horses. They were no better than slaves. They really didn't have any rights. So nobody in Europe wanted Christian Europe to become Muslim caliphate, but they didn't have a king. Nobody to oppose them. So this one guy, he was a governor of a little town, stood up. His name was Charles Martel, and he brought together some allies, and they picked their ground at Tour France. And they stood on that ground, and he said, no matter what they throw at us, stand. So the Muslim armies came against them again and again and again. Cavalry, mounted cavalry, the best in the world at the time, coming against a bunch of guys just standing their ground. And when they came the first time, they stood. And when their brothers fell down beside them, they straddled the bodies of their brothers and they stood. Again and again, the Muslim cavalry came against them until finally, the, Charles killed their leader and they turned around and they fled. If Charles hadn't won that fight, the rest of Europe would have become a caliphate. And we don't know if the Reformation would have ever happened. We don't know if you and I would be sitting here believers right now. The pilgrims would never have come to the new world because they wouldn't have existed. Charles stood because he didn't want his family to become slaves to a, a tyrannical religion. 
Um, he earned a nickname that day. From then on, he was called Charles the Hammer because he refused to move. Charles the Hammer with his mighty Mjolnir standing against the enemies of God. Now, when I was a kid, stop. So when, when, when I was a kid, I told you guys I had to, I had to walk uh, to school through some pretty mean streets, and these kids would jump me, and I, I went home one day, and, and I'd been beaten up pretty good, and my dad was talking to me about it, and I, I told him, Dad, it's not fair. They cheat. They won't. In the Westerns, it's always one-on-one, -on -one, you know? When, when, when nights joust, it's one-on-one. -on -one. These guys, two of them will come at me, three of them will come at me, four of them will come at me. They cheat. If they wouldn't cheat, then I could beat them. And my dad told me, if they're going to cheat, you pick up whatever you can and you defend yourself. If you can find a stick, you pick it up and whack them with it. If you can find a rock, you pick them up and whack them with it. So I took up my mighty hammer. Do you have a picture of my mighty hammer? This is my mighty hammer. <laughs> Zach arose in fury with his mighty hammer, Mjolnir. Is, oh, maybe it was called Luncheon Box. <laughs> How the West was won, Lunchbox. I'll tell you what, I think the first day I had a thermos full of chicken noodle soup. <laughs> so that wasn't a light Lunchbox. So when those guys came against me, I was like, gloom. <laughs> and I laid about with my hammer and threw my enemy's broken body down upon the mountain. Not really. <laughs> Did they stop coming against me when I started fighting back? No, they actually didn't. But I want to tell you something. Up until then, it was just child abuse. Up until then, I was a victim. This day, they knew if they were coming, they were leaving skin with me. They were leaving blood with me. They were leaving hair in the creases of my lunchbox. <laughs> Because I was determined that I was going to stand. I want to tell you something. Until you start to fight back, you're not even in the fight yet. You're just getting abused. You're just a victim. This is the Lord saying, remember, they're going to come one way or another. Pick up your armor and let them know that they don't just have a victim. They've got a foe. Don't just be their victim. Don't be their slave. Be their foe. If you come at me, I, I pray this all the time, Lord, if the devil points a finger at me and my family, break it. If he opens his mouth against me or my family, knock his teeth out. If he makes a step towards me and my family, break his kneecaps. Let him go home with a limp. God, if he comes against me with the armies of hell, raid hell and give me salvations. I pray vengeance against my enemies all the time. And I tell you what, they still come at me, but they don't go back the same way they came. Stand your ground. What ground has the Lord given you to stand for? What bridge has the Lord asked you to stand on? Maybe it's the front door of your house. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe, the, maybe the, every single one of us, if you don't think the devil's coming for your kids, you're a fool. I'm sorry, I don't want to insult you, but you need to know you're, you're, you're stupid. <laughs> maybe I do want to insult them. <laughs> Sounds like I want to. You, you don't understand hell. You think you can compromise with them? You can't. You think you can negotiate? You can't. They want to destroy everything that resembles God. And you're, you and your children are made in the image of God. They're going to destroy you unless you take a stand and fight back. You guys all right? The third stand is this. Remember, stand for, stand against, and stand over. Take a stand, stand your ground, and stand in victory. Here's the third one. Ephesians 6.13. After you have done everything, stand. The NLT puts it this way, therefore put on every piece of the armor of God so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. In other words, when the smoke clears, there'll be one person standing and it's you. This is how you make sure that at the end of the day, when the smoke clears, and by the way, that ain't today. You're going to keep fighting until you're, until you're with Jesus. You're going to keep fighting. 
But in the end, you're the one standing, not your enemy. We're going to come back to this. I'll talk about it in, in just a minute. But there's actually a fourth stand. And the fourth one is, how do I do it? How do I stand? He says it like this. Therefore, in other words, so now stand. So he said, stand, stand, stand. Now, this is how you stand. Ephesians 4.22, I don't know if you remember this. You remember the, the monster sermon where we are talking about taking off your monster suit? Remember that? Taking off your animal suit and we threw it away because Ephesians 4.22 says to take off that, your sin nature, and throw it away. Get it away from you. This is the first time that Paul tells them, okay, now that you've taken off that outfit, here's what you put on. And he begins to talk about the armor of God. Now you need to understand, Paul didn't come up with this. He's actually taken this out of the book of Isaiah. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 59 says, the Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. You ever feel like that? He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him. His own righteousness sustained him. He's our champion. He put on righteousness as his breastplate. What? The breastplate of righteousness is God's armor. He put on the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. What? He put on the helmet of salvation? That's exactly right. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. That means it's okay to get passionate about taking revenge against hell. It's okay. So literally, this is the armor of God. Now, if, if you were hoping for a message on the armor of God, that's not what this is, okay? So this could be three messages, four messages, five messages. If you're going to really go through this and categorize it and talk about what all the armor means, you really need a lot of time for that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to mention some things, but I'm going to ask you to go home and study, okay? So you ready? The first thing he says to put on, Ephesians 6, says, stand therefore, and I'm going to read this in the King James, okay? Because in the NIV and the NLT, there's a word that's not in the Greek, and the word is belt. So sometimes when people teach this, they teach that it's a belt that you put around your armor to hold everything on, and you hang the sword on the belt. That's actually not what this is saying, okay? Stand therefore, having your loins Girt. You guys have that? We're in verse 14. Yep, girt, girt. Thanks, girt. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having the breastplate of righteousness. What, is, what does he mean, your loins girt? See, when, when, sometimes when people teach this, they teach that the loins are the hips. So it's a belt that goes around your hips. That's not true. Loins in the New Testament means your procreative power. It means your procreative parts. There is not another place in the New Testament where the word loins is used where it doesn't mean your baby-making pieces. This is talking about your baby-making pieces. Remember, my ancestors running around naked going into the battle. If you run naked at the devil, where do you think he's going to hit you first? In your baby making pieces. That's exactly right. So this is what the word is saying. The very first place you're going to get attacked is in your sexuality. Hello, you with me? The very first place you're going to get attacked is the seat of your lusts and your desires, your, uh, your inheritance, your future, your baby making pieces. Don't let them lead your fight. Bind them up. Gird them, the word says, in the truth. My kids come home and they tell me about what they've been talking about in school, and their friends don't know anything about what the word of God says about what you can and can't do with your sexuality because they they've, they've not been taught the word of God, so they don't know the truth. And they're at a Christian school. Teach your children what the word says about their sexuality. Do you know, it, do you know it's not okay to commit adultery? I'm sorry, that's the truth. You know fornication is not okay? I'm sorry, that's the truth. Do you know over and over again in the Bible, it says that having homosexual sex is not okay. You may have that desire. You may, you may have all those desires, but it doesn't, it's not okay to do it. Bind up your loins with the truth. 
That means you don't get to tell your loins what the truth is. The, they're bound by what the word says. That's the only way you're going to make it through this fight. Because if he gets a hold of your wiener parts, you're doomed. I better not. I better not preach. <laughs> protect your heart with the breastplate of righteousness. If he gets a hold of your, how do you guard your heart? How do you protect your heart? His righteousness. Your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. You want to know something? When I was lost, I was a wanderer. I didn't know where I was going. If you're lost, if you're wandering, if you don't know where you're going in life, you need to put on the gospel and let the gospel speak to you. Jesus Christ died for your sins. Where does he say you're supposed to go with your life? That's how you stop wandering. That's how you shod your feet with the gospel. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Faith is like a force field so that when the devil throws accusations and intimidation your way, it just goes doink, 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 doink. Do you remember when Jesus was being attacked by Satan in, uh, in the desert? And Satan came to him to tempt him, and every time he tempted him, it just bounced right off his faith. And then he just took his sword and poked holes in all the devil's arguments. Pook, 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 pook. That's what the sword's for. Take up the helmet of salvation, because the helmet of salvation protects your mind. It settles your mind. This is whose team I'm on. You know you're looking at the jersey of God. This is whose team you're on. When you put on the armor, you're putting on the jersey of the team of Jesus Christ. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. There's one final piece of armor in verse 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and Always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly. Listen, you may wonder, oh, all I've got is this shield and I've got this armor and I've got this helmet and I've got a sword. What do I do if somebody's far away? Prayer is your javelin. Prayer is your artillery. The enemy's coming at you with sticks and stones. You've got artillery. You can zero in where that stuff lands. Fire it. Use it. Prayer is your fortification. Prayer is your reinforcements. Lord of the Rings fans, prayer is the eagles. Every time they get in a bad situation, uh, Gandalf is up in a tower. He whispers to a moth, here comes the eagles. They're surrounded by wargs. They ran up a tree. It's on fire. It's going off a, off a cliff. They say a prayer. Here come the eagles. They're surrounded by orcs. Oh, no, we're going to lose. Here come the eagles. They're at the gates of Mordor, surrounded by hell, and there's dragons attacking them and a witch king. Here come the eagles. Finally, uh, what's his name? Frodo, that little dude, he goes up the mountain, and he throws the ring into the fire, but he's so tired he can't get down again. How am I going to get down? The uh, Mount Doom is exploding. Here come the eagles. Prayer allows God to send you the eagles. His reinforcements to you. It's one of your most powerful weapons. I want to tell you, remember I said prayer is spiritual violence. If you haven't started praying, you haven't actually started doing anything yet. You may be standing there, but you're not fighting. You can stand there in this outfit and still get run over. Fight back. The way you fight back is through prayer. You guys get what I'm saying? That is the full armor of God. That's the completion of the armor of God. Okay. Now, I, I just want to share one more story before we wrap up, okay? Um, there's a perfect example in the Bible. And you guys know this. You've heard this story over and over again. But I'm going to share it again anyway because it's one of my favorites. It's a story of a, of a kid, a little shepherd boy named David, and David takes on the champion of hell. Have you ever thought about this? That Goliath, when he stepped down into the valley, he was a giant. The Bible says he was more than nine feet tall. He was enormous. He stepped down into that valley, and he was representing the Philistine god, Dagon. Dagon is a real demon. So when he stepped down, he may have been possessed. That, that guy was already a giant, but he was representing 
the Philistine armies and the Philistine God, the dude may have been possessed. I don't know if you've ever dealt with somebody who's possessed, but they actually do have like supernatural strength. I could tell you stories. Creepy stories, but they're children in the room, so I won't. So this guy's scary. He's coming down every day and he's shouting out to the Philistines. He's insulting their God and he's asking them to send a man to fight them. And he says, if you beat us, we'll become your slaves. But if we defeat you, you'll become our slaves. And everyone is scared to death. Here comes David. David's been given some bread and some meat and some cheese by his dad. And he's been told, bring these to your brothers because they're on the front line fighting. His brothers were soldiers. He shows up just a kid, just a shepherd. And he hears Goliath shouting out, who will fight me? Remember the Veggie Tales? <laughs> Dave and the Giant Pickle, come on. Dun, 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 dun. Who will fight me? And Dave goes, isn't anybody going to fight this guy? He's insulting God. He's insulting the armies of God. Is nobody? What's going to be done about this? He's going around asking, who's going to do something about this? And nobody's going to do anything. So they bring him to the king, and the king looks at him. He says, you can't fight this guy. You're just a kid. Have you ever had somebody try to intimidate you because you're young? Try to intimidate you because you're weak? Try to intimidate you because you're small? The king says to him, you can't fight a giant. You're just a kid. And he said, well, I'm, I'm a shepherd. And I watched sheep. And whenever a bear or a lion would come and take one of the sheep, I'd just whoop its butt. And then I'd take the sheep back. The same God that helped me defeat the lion and the bear will help me defeat this Philistine. The same God that rescued me from the lion and the bear will help me, will rescue me from this Philistine. Do you understand that he walked into this situation with the helmet of salvation already on? He knew he had a defender. That's what the helmet of salvation is. It's when you don't, I don't, just, I don't just give mental assent. My mind has been changed because I know that I've got a defender. I've got a savior. David was wearing the helmet of salvation. His mind was protected against accusation because it was already made up. I've got a God who defends me. I got nothing to be afraid of. Let's pick up right there. This is 1 Samuel 17, verse 38 through 44. Then Saul gave David his own armor. It's like Saul was trying to make David his champion. A bronze helmet, a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped on the sword over it, took a step or two to see what it was like, for he'd never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He didn't need physical armor. He already had spirit armor. He didn't need physical armor because he was already wearing the armor of God. And some of you are thinking, well, that's New Testament armor. No, I just showed you. It's from Isaiah. It's Old Testament armor. It's God's armor. It is the original armor. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them in his shepherd's bag. Then, armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to the Philistines. You know what? His feet were shod with the truth, and they led him exactly where he needed to be. They led him right to the battle line, and at that battle line, David took a stand. Nobody else in the entire nation was willing to do it, but one little boy with the courage of the Lord took a stand. See? Goliath walked out toward David with a shield-bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with sticks? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals, Goliath yelled. Here's the flaming arrows. You can't do this. Who do you think you are? Intimidation. Accusation. Do you know David was getting intimidation from his enemy, but he was also getting it from his friends? His brothers accused him. Saul told him he couldn't do it. Flaming arrows don't always come from the front. Sometimes they come from the back. That's why you need the that not just the shield of faith, but you need a force field of faith. And this is what David had. David had a force field of faith. So when those arrows and those accusations came, can you imagine somebody nine and a half feet tall with a spear and a sword longer than you are telling you he's about to chop you into pieces and feed you to the birds? David didn't even flinch because he had a shield of faith. He believed 
whose he was. 1 Samuel 17, 45 through 47. David said to the Philistine, now, now this, is, this, is, this is a stout little booger, man. David may be Jewish, but he got his Irish on. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with a sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. By the way, he says Elohim. He actually speaks the names of God. He actually comes against Goliath with the word, the names of God. The God of the armies of Israel, that is Jehovah Sabaoth, which means the Lord of hosts. He's not just standing against a giant. He's standing against a giant with a sword. Did you know that the word for sword in Greek, it doesn't use the word gladius? A gladius is for fighting gladiators. The word in Greek is a word which means more like a falchion. It's more like a curved sword, and it's short like this. It's not a long one, but it's primarily for, for butchering animals and then for fighting against your enemies. Your enemy's like an animal. He has no sense of shame. He has no mercy. The word of God is for butchering the animals of hell. I come at you in the name of the God of the armies of Israel, Jehovah Sabaoth, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. Ooh, that's big talking. And I'll strike you down and cut off your head. You can't even reach his head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. I'm not just going to kill you. I'm going to kill your mama. I'm going to kill your daddy. I'm going to kill your friends. I'm going to kill your army. I'm coming for everybody. This little dude. He's spunky. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. He stands against Goliath with the word of God. See? Do you see how it functions? This isn't just, this isn't just, sometimes some people get up in the morning and they're like, I put on, Lord, I put on the helmet of salvation. I put on the breastplate of righteousness. I put on the feet of, that's fine. But these are actually, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ when you take hold of it and you put it in your life. That's what this is. As the Philistines moved closer to attack him, David, watch this kid, ran quickly toward the battle line. He's, he's got on the, the, his feet are shot with the gospel again. He's like, I'm t- yeah, he's taking this one. This is his. This is like me in that dream chopping up demons. I'm like, anything you put in front of me is for me to chop up. That's exactly David's attitude. He's like, oh, you gave me a giant today. Sweet. He's going down there to get his giant. Ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag, he took out a stone. He slung it, and he struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead. How thick is the bone on a, on a, on a demon giant's forehead? It's like, I don't know how thick it is. He broke the dude's skull open. Either this guy's got an arm like Nolan Ryan or God put a little bit of juice on that one. By the way, that was the prayer. He wasn't even close enough to touch him. Just chucked a stone at him. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Now watch this. David took a stand. He stood for his God. He stood against the enemy. Now watch what he's about to do. David ran and stood over. Those are the exact same words from the book of Ephesians. David ran and stood over him. He stood in victory. He took hold of the Philistine's sword. This is like adding insult to injury, y'all. He took hold of the Philistine's sword, drew it from its sheath, and after he killed him, he cut off his head with a sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You know why? Because he already knows he's going to lose. He's already been kicked out of heaven once. He already had hell ransacked by Jesus Christ. Death 
and the grave have already been defeated. He knows he's destined to lose. The problem is, what happens if you figure out he's destined to lose? When you figure out he's destined to lose, he runs. He's scared to death. Can you imagine the average human head weighs about 10 pounds? It's like a bowling ball. How much does a giant's head weigh? Can you imagine David reaching down and taking a hold of those big black curls, taking a hold of him and... And standing on that big fat boy. And the armies of the Philistine going, holy dagon, he killed him. And running for the hills. Hell needs to see your victory. Hell needs to hear your testimony. Hell is scared to death that you're going to stand in victory. Show them. The saints need to hear it too. The Bible says that after he defeated Goliath, the armies of Israel chased down the Philistines and they destroyed them across the hills because those who were scared out of their minds when they saw a little boy who was willing to stand in the army of God can beat a giant in a monster suit, the armies of God rallied, found their courage, and ran down their enemy. I have questions for you today. If even a kid in the armor of God can stand against hell, what's stopping us? What's the Lord given you to fight against? What's the Lord given you to fight for? kind of weapons has he put in your hand? You, just, you may only have a lunchbox. You know what? Even if you only have one scripture, it's better than none. Even if you only have one song, even if all you can remember is Jesus loves me, this I know, you're still armed for battle. That's still praising the Lord. You've still got something to fight with. You may think you're not armed. You've got something. Your mama may have sang it over you in your cradle. You may have learned it when you were a little kid in Sunday school, but you've got something to fight with. And this is my encouragement to you. It's time to fill up your bat utility belt. It's time, to, it's time to put a sword in your sheath. It's time to get a, a stone for your sling. It's time to get a javelin in your hand. It's time for you to get a prayer. It's time for you to get the word in your hand. It's time to stand for something. If you just close your eyes with me for a moment. I want to ask, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you? What are you saying to me today, God? Maybe you haven't taken a stand yet because you haven't picked sides. Today may be your day to pick sides. Maybe today you saw that line in the sand and you said, I want to stand on Jesus' side. I've, I've never decided. I've never fixed my will to stand with God. Today I want to stand with God. Maybe you've taken your stand, but you're having a hard time standing your ground because you just are weary and you've been beat up. Maybe you need the strength of God to keep standing. Maybe you know it's time to face your giants. Maybe your giants have been beating on you for a long time. And maybe today you just got angry enough that you're willing to turn around and fight back. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to us. We submit ourselves to you. And we ask God that you would have your way in our hearts. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at unitechurchak.org. We hope to see you soon.